every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast, Money Talk, for Friday, the 27th of October. The weekend is just around the corner. And this podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. Thank you for making us one of the most listened to financial podcasts in Hong Kong. In today's business and finance headlines, the US economy grew faster than expected in the third quarter of the year, helped by a tight jobs market and consumer spending. US GDP expanded by 4.9% annualised in the third quarter, the most in almost two years, and beating economists' forecasts for 4.5% growth. Consumer spending, which accounts for more than two-thirds of economic activity in the US, was the main driver behind the rise. Consumer spending rose 4%, that's the most since the final quarter of 2021, and compared with 0.8% in the last quarter. The European Central Bank kept interest rates unchanged for the first time in 15 months when it met Thursday in Athens. The ECB has raised its benchmark deposit rate from a record low of minus half a percent to an all-time high of 4%. The ECB said in a statement, inflation was still expected to stay too high for too long, but keeping rates at their current level for a sufficiently long duration would make a substantial contribution to achieving its inflation target of 2%. And it added that rates will be set at sufficiently restrictive levels for as long as necessary. President Joe Biden has warned China not to engage in dangerous and unlawful activity towards the Philippines and warned that any attack on the US ally would trigger Washington's mutual defense treaty with Manila. Mr Biden said he wanted to send a clear message to Beijing after China's Coast Guard collided with a boat after trying to block a Filipino supply mission in the South China Sea. The Philippines this week accused China of harassing Filipino vessels near a sandbank inside its exclusive economic zone. China says the shoal is part of its territory. And the Japanese yen dropped to its weakest level this year against the dollar as the wide yield gap with the US continued to weigh on the Japanese currency. The yen depreciated 0.1% to 150.37 per US dollar. That's a level not seen since October 2022. And this year, the currency has weakened almost 13% now against the dollar, making it the worst performer among its G10 peers. On today's Money Talk, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities, and John Schofield, Managing Director of Tempest Investment. And with a view from Australia is Toby Lawson, CEO at Staten Partners. And I think you know how to find me by now. Just go to peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On Wall Street, the Nasdaq Composite dropped deeper into correction territory on Thursday. The tech-heavy index lost 1.8%, closing below its 200-day moving average and ending at 12,595. It fell into correction territory on Wednesday and after yesterday's decline has slipped more than 12% now from its most recent high on July the 19th. The S&P 500 dipped 1.2% to finish the session at 4,137. That's its lowest point since May. It also fell into correction territory at its low of the day, and it ended the session nearly 10% uh, 10 off from its 2023 closing high, which was notched on July the 31st. The Dow slipped 252 points, or 0.8%, to 32,784. The Magnificent Seven stocks have endured a total market cap loss of around $1 trillion now in the last two weeks. 
Treasury yields fell and prices rose on short covering, despite solid economic data, as traders took profits ahead of PCE data later today and the Fed meeting next week. The 10-year Treasury yield fell 10 basis points to 4.85%. That's the largest one-day fall since October the 10th, after hitting a 16-year high of 5.02% earlier in the week. The 30-year yield was down 8 basis points at 4.99%. Brent crude oil settled 2.4% lower at $87.93 per barrel. The US dollar index was slightly higher at 106.62, hitting its highest levels in almost two weeks earlier in the session. The Chinese yuan was unchanged at 7.315 renminbi versus the dollar in onshore markets. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite climbed half a percent to 2,988, but Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index it dipped 41 points or 0.2% to 17,045. That's the lowest level since November the 10th last year. The tech index rebounded from earlier losses uh, to close with gains of a third of a percent. Leaning and enter sports products slumped on concerns about weak consumption trends. Sportswear, mate, sportswear maker Leaning plunged almost 21% after same store sales fell in the third quarter from a year earlier, and Peer Enter Sports dropped 5.3%. Does look like we're going to see a small rebound at the open this morning of just over 100 points, about 0.7%. Futures markets pointing to the Hang Seng starting the session at 17,160. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. It's Friday. Don't we just love it? And we have with us, as always, on a Friday, we also love it, Francis Lund, the CEO of GEO Securities. Morning, Francis. Hi, good morning. And also joining us for the happy gang on Friday, John Schofield, Managing Director of Tempest Investment. Morning to you, John. Hello. Good morning, Peter. Um, let me start with getting your thoughts on John Lee's policy address. He delivered his second policy address yeah. Wednesday morning. Um, it was 171 points in this address, addressing nearly every aspect of life in Hong Kong and almost every sector of society. I'm wondering, um, Francis, what were your overall impressions of it? It seems rather a lot there, doesn't it? Yeah, I think he, tr- he tried to do a good job. But the problem is... Uh, uh, I doubt that uh, his, uh, he can reverse the trend of uh, de- uh, decline in Hong Kong. Uh, if you go to the uh, expensive restaurants at night, uh, you, you see very few tables. And, and despite the fact that the government's trying to revive the nighttime market, it's not really working. And, and also the, uh, for, for the stock market, uh, uh, it's not working by cutting the stamp duty by 0.3%, also the, uh, 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 the property market. I think, I think uh, the problem is that the, uh, the decline of the economy in Hong Kong is deep-rooted. It, it will take some time. Uh, for Hong Kong to re- to recover, to reverse the trend of population decline. I think that is the uh, biggest problem. I think you have to get more people working in Hong Kong and living in Hong Kong first. 
did you get a sense of what his priority was amongst all of those initiatives that he announced? <laughs> Which one is the most important, do you think, or is going to make the biggest difference uh, I, I, to Hong Kong? I, I think try, uh, giving uh, newborns $20,000 per, per, <laughs> per baby. That was the headlines, for <laughs> yeah, sure, wasn't it? That was the big that's, headline. That's right. But, but that, I don't think that's enough. I think you have to give them at least 100000 to become really <laughs> effective. Yep. John, what are your thoughts on it? It was a long address, yeah. wasn't it? A lot yeah. of things in it, a lot of initiatives. Um, yeah. Did you get a sense of what the priorities were and what, 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 what were your overall thoughts about it? Well, the priority is, um, you know, to get the Hong Kong, as Francis is saying, you know, is to stabilise the Hong Kong, get it, get a Hong Kong economy, get it back onto a growth path. And um, obviously there are many aspects of that you have to address, um, population uh, decline is, is one and the property and housing situation is another um, uh, restoring uh, or you know reinforcing or getting Hong Kong's uh, international financial hub status back up so all those things do require a br broad um, uh, you know a broad range of measures and um, while uh, while while um, you know that nothing is it's a good start i think in many areas um particularly cutting the, the stamp duty for example um again not not that much i mean it's it's still a punitive um a punitive levy uh, but it's a start and there's you know more ammunition there if uh, if this doesn't work turn and the idea is to get turnover i think to uh, to increase in 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 the property market rather certainly don't want to see back on price inflation uh, mm -hmm. properties um, and balance that against the initiatives to um, rehouse the people in subdivided housing. I was quite surprised that um, well, I was surprised to learn there wasn't already a task force to deal with that situation <laughs> yes, right. but anyway he's, he's started one um, uh, and just uh, and let, let, let's, let's hope that can you know they can Hong Kong, when it wants to, can build things very quickly. So if they just focus on getting those two hundred thousand people or whatever it is into, you know, decent, decent public sector housing, presumably, um, then that's a, that's a project, you know, mm -hmm. and it can be it can be achieved within uh, within five years. Uh, I've seen that the same in my own town. They decided to build uh, some public housing, uh, only a modest amount, um, but it was it was up and running within five years so it doesn't the um what i've noticed but, but what, the good thing about this government is that um you know there's much less um you know bureaucratic um well, delay he, he says it's know. a results orientated government yes yeah well exactly and that's, <laughs> and that's um uh, and I think we, I think we're beginning to see that, you know, compared with the previous administration, the frustrations we all felt with the endless foot dragging and so on of, of <laughs> getting things done of, of the previous administrations. So <laughs> hopefully that's over. If you look at the order in which he presented things in his policy address and in his booklet, the first of two things he mentioned, national security law and patriotic yeah. education in schools, which <laughs> sort of suggests maybe those are at the front of his mind, maybe yeah. they are his priorities, but they're sort of at odds, aren't they, with encouraging people to come into Hong Kong and to yeah. come back to Hong Kong? 
yeah, but uh, I, I, I don't think the ordinary citizens really give a priority to patriotic education. Mm. I think they, they really uh, uh, mean, means brainwashing in saying how great China is anyway. I, I don't think people are interested in that. Mm. <laughs> no, I thought would have maybe thought maybe he just getting it out of the way. You know, <laughs> that, that that would be my yeah. It sounds like he's pretty determined to introduce national security law next uh, next year, though, doesn't it? So yeah, uh, yeah, when you got national security law, you don't even need uh, twenty three. It's the same. Yes, that's what I was saying. <laughs> it's, all, it's probably already written, so it'll just be passing something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that reflects the existence. Mm. Yeah. Now, let me ask you about some of the specific policies then that were there. First of all, Francis, stock trading fees. They've yeah. been cut now from 0.13% back to 0.1%, which is effectively where they were two years ago, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so, that's uh, right. Back where we started from. Mm. I would have thought that you would have been pleased by that or, or not. Well, it's, it's a good step forward. But, but the problem is... Uh, uh, um, most of the foreign investors, like the uh, American funds and, and European funds, have already left Hong Kong. I, I think the problem, the, the, the fundamental problem, is that uh, uh, China is not as attractive as before. Mm. And, and that causes the Hong Kong market to fall. And unless China begins to grow again, and and this big tax starts to grow again, you're not going to have a vibrant stock market. Mm. I think that's the root cause of it. And that's out of the control of uh, John Lee. John, what are your thoughts? Yes, um, I, I, th- I think the government is doing uh, everything it reasonably can to, um, you know, for the Hong Kong market is very well regulated um, these days, so it's, it's, a, it's a great... Uh, jurisdiction. I hear, you know, anecdotally, it's, uh, it's only a few, few swallows. We're not in summer yet, but uh, there are, there's a trickle of people coming, coming back, even coming back from Singapore and mm-hmm. um, setting up new, new funds and so on. Um, yeah, the the big index stocks uh, and so on. They've all got their different problems, especially obviously the property, the property market. Um, mm-hmm. But um, what? analysts are completely increasingly focused on is the tremendous value that is now available in you know some really top class manufacturing companies in 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 china and um you know whether it's uh byd and uh, the white goods makers solar panel mm-hmm. uh, uh, wind wind turbine Indeed. and so on there's um uh, and, they, and they are you know Still continuing to to um, to grow market share, export, and um, despite lower profits, and out competing many of their you know European uh, peers, and so on. And those stocks are now trade. You know, they but the share prices just keep, mm-hmm. even though they're reporting good figures, the share share prices just keep drifting lower and lower. That's because of the overall macro. And uh, you know political uh, background, I think. Mm. But that's that's um, the issue, isn't it? Are, people are seeing, starting to see a value. They're starting to eye it up. They're starting to get ready to put the, um, you know, put money back in. But it's when we get the inflection point. Mean, it, but it's all a matter of uh, you know sentiment. We need an inflection pointed sentiment. And people say, ah, right, that's 
you know, the bear market is over, let's, um, let's, mm. let's get back. But despite the value, I mean, the value is there for sure, a lot of people yeah. say it, but people are reluctant to put their money in when you have a government <laughs> that really doesn't see uh, the role of the shareholder properly. It doesn't respect shareholder rights. It's not interested in returns to shareholders. It can yeah. arbitrarily confiscate the profits of companies. I mean, look what happened to Tencent in, uh, in effect. It virtually had to give up a whole year's profits, didn't it, uh, yeah. a year or so ago. That, that's the problem, isn't it? That um, they're seen as basically a tool for um, engineering sort of, you know, political purposes in China, um, but they're not there to make money in their own yeah. rights. That, that's the under fundamental problem, isn't it? Yeah, the, the, the government fear that the big techs are getting too big and too rich. That's why they clamp down on the big tech. You know, uh, among the uh, uh, netizens in China, uh, the favorite topic right now is the last uh, Ming Dynasty Emperor Song Qing. Mm. Uh, he, he was a uh, very uh, uh, studious, uh, diligent uh, ruler, but he was dumb and stupid, and and he and and, and he basically he, ruined the economy, didn't he? He, he well, that's not, not really his fault, but he but he lost the Ming Dynasty to the to the Man, not not to the Manchus to 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 the bandits. So uh, actually, people are refer actually they are referring to the current government, right? And and even now, yeah. Uh, uh, if you talk about Song Qing, you, you will be censured. Really? Okay. <laughs> and, and so this has been removed from the bookshelves yeah. altogether, yeah, any the, mention uh, of this uh, in the, the, history? There was a bestseller the, talking about the last em emperor of Ming Dynasty, and it was removed, mm. but people are still talking about it. Okay. <laughs> well, let me ask you about uh, the property curbs then. The housing curbs have been relaxed. Um, if you buy a second home, you'll pay 7.5% in taxes now, down from 15%. Um, foreigners will pay 15% levies instead of 30%. And also, um, you now only have to hold the property for two years before being liable for the taxes rather than three years. And there's also going to be a special arrangement for talents coming in overseas if they acquire residential uh, property. They won't have to pay uh, the tax, providing they become permanent, uh, permanent residents. What do you make of that, John? Yes, um, as I said, I think that's uh, this is a good start. Um, hopefully, that will be, you know be sufficient to tip the balance. Uh, as you say, the sort of people that they're trying to attract to come to, to come over here, if if um, if they if they can you know buy property and and uh, not have to pay the stamp duty tax, that's all all well and good. But um, of course, I presume it would take seven years for them to get there. <laughs> So that's quite I, a long time. I think. So I don't know whether you have this kind of. Five years. You have this uh, this mortgage hanging hanging around your neck to uh, to, uh, to to be relieved of that uh, that duty, and it's, and it's still a, it's let's face it, still a, a lot of money. I think I'm right in saying that that these this seven point five or fifteen percent. Mm -hmm. is on top of the you know yeah, basic stamp duty right. the normal extra, one yeah, extra, four, four yeah. five percent depending mm -hmm. these on are the spicy stamp duties yeah. <laughs> yes, i think they're called yes. aren't they so, the spicy uh, measures yeah so um yeah as i say if it hopefully the turnover will start to 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 pick up a bit in the, in the market but um, i mean particularly that for for re second homes for re residents um that uh, that that could uh, uh, we'd be abolished, I think, hopefully, in in due course. And the same with the the stock market, by the way. The um, 
you know the, the stamp duty because the turnover of mm -hmm. uh, the stocks is obviously reduced mm -hmm. um, if they can get the turnover back up mm -hmm. uh, even at even that reduced level of, of stamp duty the government revenues will mm -hmm. will, will hold up Mm -hmm. you know, so I guess that it's a classic trade, tax trade-off. You know, you mm -hmm. cut the tax, but you actually get more, more business, and therefore your your revenues you know, hold up or, or even increase. Francis, though, I, I, isn't it the case though that the reason why house prices have slumped, I think they're about fifteen percent off their highs, aren't they? Yeah. It's not so much because of the taxes mm. and the stamp duties; it's mm. the fact that interest rates have gone up so much, and yeah. people don't want to or can't afford to That's get a mortgage right. at these sort of rates. Yeah, there are two big reasons. Of course, the major one is really uh, many people left already; they sold their houses, and they are or they are being forced to sell the houses so that they can emigrate. Mm. Uh, the second one is with the interest rates are too high. Uh, high high bond now is uh, 4 or 5%. And you add to that, you and uh, your high... Uh, High related the mortgage can can be as high as seven percent, so that is a little bit punitive for for a lot of people. People can afford to make the mortgage payment now. Same thing is happening all over the world, mm. and uh, ordinary uh, citizens are falling behind the payments. I think uh, that's terrible. Uh, uh, I, I think the government might as well just drop all those uh, punitive uh, stamp duties. Just, just, just let the market be a free market. But where would it get its revenues from? <laughs> well, if if you reduce or uh, remove all all those extra stamp duty, property transactions will go up. Mm. And then property prices will go up, and, mm. and and the government will get more from the land auction. Yeah, yeah. I think land auction has been the government major source of revenue for years, for decades. Mm. So I think the the top priority is <laughs> well, that would be terrible to 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 increase uh, the property prices. <laughs> that's yes, terrible. Yeah. We need a soft <laughs> need a soft landing. Yeah, that's right. We need a soft landing in property prices. That's mm. that's for sure. Yeah, that's all part of trying to manage the situation. We don't end up like uh, China. Mm. Luckily, I think that's unlikely given that the, the, the degree of leverage in Hong Kong traditionally mm -hmm. amongst households is, is um, low yeah. by, low mm -hmm. by you know, world, world standards. But, um, yeah. Okay. Let me ask you about this uh, this headline figure: twenty thousand Hong Kong dollars as a part of a suite of incentives for <laughs> families with newborns. Also, yeah. they'll get priority uh, on the uh, on the on the housing. Uh, list for public uh, for public housing. Um, we've got the lowest fertility rate in the world, haven't we? 0.8 yeah, births yeah, per, per woman. Right. Is this going to change anything? No, no. <laughs> it's not enough. No. <laughs> you, you have to increase that yeah. at least to hundred thousand to 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 attract uh, young couples to have more children. Yeah. Because uh, right now, I think. Uh, even the medical fee for giving uh, for a private hospital uh, is something like sixty thousand dollars. I think twenty thousand doesn't cover that. Mm. <laughs> so if if it, it might be an inducement, I suppose, if you were already thinking of having a family, yeah, you get sort right. of like this extra yeah. twenty thousand. Mm -hmm. But if you weren't, it's not going to get you to change your mind, is it? Yeah, that's right. John, what are your thoughts? Yes, I mean it's it's a sort of token gesture, welcome as it is. But yes, the uh, what you need to think about is uh, 
you know, the housing situation for, for young people, um, maybe childcare situation. Mm, I'm not sure right. what uh, what's available in Hong Kong and how much it it costs. Not being of that, yeah, it's quite expensive. Um, you know, that's been a big issue in c countries like the UK, as you know. There, um, mm. You know, cost of childcare is astronomical, so getting parents back to work um, with small children. Mm -hmm. um, it's difficult unless they can get subsidised childcare. So mm -hmm. those, um, you know, those three things, mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got to work on them all, all together. Okay. Now, another big feature of the policy address was measures to attract overseas firms to the city <laughs> and maybe to, to set up new headquarters um, here. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Lee said he's going to announce, introduce a mechanism to attract overseas firms to re-domicile mm -hmm. um, in the city, targeting those with a business focus in Asia-Pacific. And also he wants to include uh, key enterprises in areas such as advanced technology, innovation and strategic industries. Invest Hong Kong and Hong Kong exchanges and clearing going to reach out to major Hong Kong listed companies domiciled overseas and encourage them to re-domicile to Hong Kong. I wonder if he's thinking of HSBC. <laughs> Come back, Jardines, all is forgiven. Oh, Jardines. Uh, if, if they can get the Jardine group back to Hong Kong, that would be quite an achievement. Yes. <laughs> but, but I think uh, Hong Kong will succeed in attracting some companies to, to list in Hong Kong because the low taxation and then, and then lack of government interference, I think. Uh, but but uh, you're facing increasing competition from uh, Singapore and other countries as well. Uh. John? Yes, I think, um, you know, again, they're, they're doing the right thing, heading the right direction. Let's try a few things and then keep, keep thinking about what else, what else can be done. Um, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, there's some anecdotal evidence a few people are moving back. And don't forget that it's, um, if you watch the sort of discussions about the budget in, uh, in, uh, in, the, in the UK and taxation, where they have a horrendously complex tax system. Mm -hmm. You've got mm. all kinds of investment taxes on you know, yeah. dividends, mm -hmm. bank interest, capital gains of course, uh, inheritance uh, tax. Yeah, You uh, have a none of that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Even bank turnover tax. Sort of hyper-capitalist hyper to talk over. The, uh, talk, mm -hmm. talk, but um, you know, that's a, it's a huge advantage to, to Hong Kong. Many people we probably both know, all know uh, personally will have um, even though they've moved out of Hong Kong for a substantial part of the year will still maintain their Hong Kong tax residency for yeah, as long yes, as they right. can yes, mm. right. for these kind of reasons and the other big thing you get here in Hong Kong is you only pay tax on income earned in Hong Kong in the yeah, UK yeah. you have to pay tax on your income wherever well, you earn yes, it that's right that's right <laughs> mm, yeah. Now, what about the Greater Bay Area? It was mentioned in Mr. Lee's speech 60 times yeah. um, this year. Uh, he uh. wants to uh, get the Hong Kong Investment Corporation to look into creating a fund with the Guangdong government to invest in projects in the Bay Area that he says deliver both economic and social benefits. He's promised more tourism and business connections with Shenzhen to wider exchange and developing initiatives. 
Um, the Hong Kong government's also going to collaborate with the Guangdong Provisional Government to develop an electronic services network known mm. as the Digital Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Clearly, this is a very important initiative for him, isn't it, given the amount of times it was mentioned um, in the speech? Yeah, so the China, uh, Hong Kong will, more be, will be more integrated with Guangdong than ever. It's just like uh, next door or something like that. But uh, uh, the, the, the way uh, Hong Kong consumes uh, uh, going to China, you don't you don't really need that. Uh, over the past weekend, eight hundred thousand Hong Kongers uh, <laughs> went to China to mm-hmm. to spend money. <laughs> Can you remember when it was the other way around? Yeah, we that's right. That's right. Now we are people buying baby milk. That's right. Only yeah. two hundred thousand uh, mm-hmm. chi- people from chi- China crossed crossed yeah. the border into Hong Kong. So yeah. the streets are quite empty during the uh, yes. uh, long holiday. Do, do you think, John, I mean, obviously in collaboration with this, we also have to look yeah. at, I suppose, at the, the northern metropolis, which is yeah. probably mm-hmm. our biggest development plan at the moment, yeah. isn't it? Which mm-hmm. is also, he says he's going to publish an agenda um, for that soon, but he expects it to create tens of thousands of new jobs, be home to about uh, two and a half million people. Mm-hmm. Is it going to work, do you think? Is it going to attract businesses to that area in the, in the specific yeah. industries yeah. that they want, which are things like high-tech and logistics, that type of thing? Yeah. Um, Yes, well, we'll have to see how it works out. I was more, quite interested in this, um, that finally they're starting to... T- another task force, I think, has been set up to look at how how these mm. development can be financed, in, yeah. including mm-hmm. in private, um, uh, private, private money, private funds. Um, I, for one, am quite nervous about Hong Kong running down its fiscal reserves. Yeah, yes, um, so doing, um, Adopting basically the China, mm-hmm. the China <laughs> build, yeah, uh, build and borrow mm-hmm. uh, model, and we see where that's en- en- ending up in some some cases. Um, so that's so. I think I think yeah, rethinking how to how to do these things um, without just throwing government or taxpayer money at it. And uh, and diverting resources that we need for you know more social purposes, mm-hmm. education, health, and so on is is um, is a big concern for me. Mm. I think it's good that uh, Johnny is putting the focus on northern uh, new territories uh, instead of Lantau. I think Lantau uh, 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 development will be just a bottom-up pit for for spending money. It, it will cost too much. I think it's much much better to concentrate on northern uh, Hong Kong and to yeah. develop the northern metropolis because the infrastructure is there already, and you don't don't have to build artificial islands and tunnels and whatever. Yeah. I think that's a sensible uh, uh, step. Uh, going forward. The Lantau project barely got a mention in the, that's in the policy right, address. That's right. I, yeah. I, I think we should junk it all together. Yeah, and focus on the northern metropolis. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah, for some reason they've got, yes, that became a uh, Lantau metropolis, the Lantau, uh, sorry, the artificial islands. Uh, that's uh, because Kerry Lamb. It, it, so be, yes, and, and so that became a sort of, you know, um, What's the word? Elephant in the room, really. And, I, and, and I'm very pleased. My sense is that they're going to be edging away from it. Mm-hmm. They can't just sort of drop it. 
yeah. for all these political reasons, and um, mm. it was encouraged by Beijing and, and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. But clearly, clearly, it's a, a bridge too far. Literally. Yeah, that's right. That's, um, that's right. Uh, and when we've got all these other priorities and things that need to be, to be done. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, look, I want to switch uh, our attention to the mainland because the other big news this week is China. Uh, China's legislature has approved a plan to raise the fiscal deficit ratio for 2023 <laughs> to about 3.8 percent of GDP. <sighs> that's above the three percent set in March, which the government has traditionally considered being a, a limit. Mm -hmm. Now, China rarely adjusts its budget mid-year. It did do it um, after the Sichuan earthquake in 2008. It also did it in the financial crisis, the Asian financial crisis in the late 1990s. And in tandem with this, they're planning to issue an additional uh, sovereign debt worth one trillion yuan. That's almost 140 billion US dollars to do what it says support post-disaster recovery. I presume that means economic stimulus. But Francis, what, what do you make of, of this? It's unusual, isn't it? Yeah, but it's quite unusual. Uh, uh, last time did it was in 2009 under Wen Jiabao. And I think I think the government really has to do something because the economy is not going nowhere, growth is slowing, and and uh, and the big problem is that local governments uh, run out of money to pay civil servants. Yeah. That is a big problem. So they they have to do something, but but still. Uh, I doubt it is enough, but uh, you you can look at look at it another way. It, uh, China's fiscal pos position is much better than the U.S. Well, that's true, but <laughs> it is losing a lot of currency, isn't it? At yeah, the moment, there is there is quite a rapid um, exodus. Safe said Friday that onshore mm. banks sold a net nineteen point four billion dollars in mm. foreign currencies last month. That's the most since November two thousand and eighteen. And we're getting outflows now from both the, the current accounts and the, and the capital um, accounts as well. John, is, is this what China is worried about, do you think, at the moment? Because, you know, overseas funds are cutting their holdings of bonds yeah. and stocks. And so there is quite yeah. a big outflow at the moment. Well, there probably is. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be considered. So 20 billion a month, it doesn't sound that, that much. But over a year, that's t uh, t 240 <laughs> billion dollars out, out of their 3 trillion Mm -hmm. uh, reserve, yeah. So it's sort of 8%, so that would be 8% of the foreign exchange, or the official foreign exchange mm -hmm. reserve. So um, I see Mr. Xi was down at the PBOC. Yeah, that's he, right. He, yeah, now he's now why? taking personal... Uh, for the first time. What, why? Why do you think that, yeah, that was? I think it's, you know, it's more the centralisation. Mm -hmm. He's taking Trying to personal... Trying to cut the the whole thing but uh, sorry no back to the new government debt I'm not sure how much of a, a sleight of hand but it's uh, I believe this um, this money will be given to the local governments who have already brought forward a lot of their spending haven't they yeah, so yeah they were instructed to bring forward their spending to the, for the year to the end of the mm -hmm. third quarter so this plugs the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. So it's but not the, the really new stimulus in that sense, is no, it really? It's just no. stopping it dropping off a cliff in this quarter. <laughs> but the, the thing to note that the, 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 government, the central government will be responsible for repaying this debt. It, mm -hmm. won't, be, it won't be local government yeah. uh, financing. So it's the start. And again, the, the, there's a huge, uh, a, lot, a lot of work to be done. It's the start, I think, of reorganizing you know, the whole complex of, uh, of debt in, in, in China. But ultimately, of course, you know, we've got to look at the, still look at the property sector, what's going to happen with the um, demise, assumed demise of Country Garden and uh, Evergrande. 
Um, we've got no no real sense of, of how, how that particular metal is going to be grasped. We might have a better but, sense uh, on Monday. <laughs> but um, I think I've said on previous occasions, one, one possibility is, is kind of nationalisation or uh, somehow backdoor nationalisation. Um, but the government's always said it doesn't want to do that, uh, hasn't yeah, it? The government yeah. doesn't want this debt. But someone's no, but some so, so someone's got to sit down and work out how to. So then, then you have to have the, the write-offs and the debt restructurings and how, how's that going to be? There's another task force in the in the <laughs> How many task forces is that so yeah, far? There are too many already. But there's a big day coming up on Monday. China Evergrande's in court in Hong Kong, and oh. it could be wound up at the end of that. It's failed to. It was ordered to provide its restructuring plan to the court mm-hmm. um, about a week or so ago, and apparently it hasn't done that. So that mm-hmm. seems to increase the chances that it might well get wound up. Yeah, that's the inevitable. I think uh, the. Uh, too, yeah. too deep in debt to, to be rescued. Yeah. Frankly, uh, the government doesn't want to spend any money on it. And yeah. then, uh, well, the bondholders, shareholders will lose everything. Right. Let me, con- uh, let me conclude before um, I let you go for your weekend, or for mm-hmm. your Friday first and then the weekend, um, the Hang Seng Index. We're now at the, basically a one-year low, aren't we? The lowest level since November yeah. uh, the 10th uh, at 17,045. There seems to be, um, Francis, almost no measure that seems to last very long in terms <laughs> of supporting this market at the moment. Well, the, uh, the only bright spot is that uh, this year's low will be higher than last year's low. <laughs> Last year, I think we have 14,600. Yeah. I think this year's low may be 16,000. Mm, we've still got two months yeah. to go yet. Though. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. So uh, in that case, there will be improvement. But overall, I think it's the worst performing stock market in the world. It is, yes, out of about 92 major indices, it it is the worst performing. So that's why stockbrokers are closing (laughs) almost every day now. What, what seems to be worrying is people are almost also, also seem to be dumping now the good, good quality stocks as well. The HSBCs, mm-hmm. the China Lifes, the CNOOCs, you know, yeah, they, they seem to right. be dumping them as well. Mm-hmm. It's just an exodus of uh, money yeah. from the stock market. It's a confidence issue. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. John, what, what, what do you see? Yes, I mean, it's, um, it's a, a real old-fashioned bear market with, um, I mean, normally we, we're used to sort of crashes and then rebounds and everything, but this is just... Just, you know, drifting down. Uh, some it's painful, though, isn't it? It's yes, just it's a like slow drip low every day. Pa- sandpapered to death. <laughs> I mean, it could end. It still could, could still end up with a you know, so-called capitulation, mm-hmm. um, which is a you know a steep dive when the fi- the last people to exit the market uh, yeah, finally turn off finally the light, give up. Um, mm-hmm. But then after that, uh, you know, the smoke clears and. and Mm-hmm. Markets can start to recover. You know that's one uh, mm. one scenario. But um, as I say, it's all it's all about sentiment. When will when will someone somebody decide that? Um, mm. What could be the catalyst to turn this around, do you think? Because it's not the announcements, is it? The, yeah. Even the announcements yeah. of a trillion dollars, a trillion yeah. yuan yeah. In, in new sovereign debt hasn't yeah. done it. So what, what, could, be the, uh, what I, could be the catalyst? I think China's economy has to improve. It, yeah. it really has to start growing by 5%. 
uh, real five percent, not the announced five percent. I think, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and people start starting to make money, and their confidence will return. But right now, that's not the case. Yeah. John, uh, final word from you. Yes, I mean, it used to be the case that people would sort of um, hold and do business in China while, while they uh, make mm -hmm. hay in China while, while, um, while they can make money, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, hold, and not worry about the politics. Now it's all the, the other way around, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. The politics appears to be preventing people taking that view, even, even when the opportunities are good. Mm. Okay, well look, thank you both very much okay. indeed. We've covered a lot there. Good to hear your insights on all of that. You heard there John Schofield, who's Managing Director at Tempus Investment, and our regular Friday commentator Francis Lun, the CEO of Geo Securities. I'm joined now by Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. Morning, Toby. Good morning, Peter. Um, we've had some inflation data out from Australia, accelerated in the September quarter, driven by rent and petrol and electricity prices. Consumer prices climbed 1.2% in the third quarter, up from 0.8% in the previous period, also exceeded forecasts of 1.1%. So, Toby, um, I suspect uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia is watching this rather closely and maybe poised to push the button again on a, another rate hike. Yeah, it's really um, it's really interesting time. November's um, for those who know uh, one of the biggest sporting events in Australia every year is the Melbourne Cup, uh, and it's always the first Tuesday in November. And of course, every first Tuesday of the month, the RBA meet. Mm. So there's always been a bit of a thing about a Melbourne Cup rate hike uh, or a change in rates. And so, you know, everyone's thinking betting and gambling now. Of course, with horse racing, well, one of those bets will be on the Reserve Bank. The futures markets are pricing at a 25 basis point rate hike in November and potentially um, either November or December, uh, and one again in, in March. And the inflation numbers that you just mentioned um, certainly put a little bit more pressure on the RBA to make that move in November. So that's been the talk all week, that there could be a Melbourne cap rate hike of 25 basis points, which would put us out to 4.35%. Um, sort of gets us in to beyond the, the almost the neutral stance if you adjust so yeah we're watching it closely and has michelle bullock the new rba governor been talking about this at all and in in in, in the sense of what it's doing for her thinking yeah well i think the 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 commentary from her at least in in, in some of the speeches she's made this week that they are concerned that inflation is not coming down quick enough so how does that translate? That translates into higher for longer, but I think that's a consistent theme that the market's aware of. Um, but she also did mention she had no hesitation uh, to raise rates if she felt that, the, you know, that it was necessary to, to ensure that this stickiness that appears to have emerged in the last couple of months um, doesn't, you know, doesn't, doesn't firm up. And you know, the debate at the market level and at the, at the economist level is, is the lagging effect of the of the previous rate hikes coming through has it fully impacted the economy um and therefore should they wait uh when you've got inflation which with goods prices inflation coming off nicely services inflation is getting a bit sticky do they pull the trigger again because growth hasn't really stalled labor market's still tight and there are probably justifiable reasons for putting keeping the foot on inflation so it'll be an interesting debate and it'll 
definitely get a lot of press in the coming week, uh, coming uh, coming week or so. How are um, households and consumers in Australia coping with these higher interest rates? And obviously, combined with that, higher mortgage rates as well. Are there any signs that it's causing um, any stress at all? Yeah, it's definitely um, uh, stressful, particularly um, when it comes to electricity prices. You know, fourteen percent year on year insurance which everyone has to have, 14% year-on-year. Medical costs are up 6%. Um, you know, rents are up 7%. Um, against that, you've certainly seen some improvement in food and veg um, and clothing and footwear and and, uh, and other items. But if you look at the essentials, where it really hurts is mortgage payments, rental payments, electricity, medical and insurance, these are all high. Mm-hmm. So people are really hurting in their hip pocket. The savings that have been built up through the pandemic have have been chewed up to a large extent, um, as opposed to interest rates in Australia, uh, in mortgages being fixed in the US, for instance, they are predominantly variable here. So people have been hit with the impact of the higher rates. Um, So yeah, they're doing it tough. Um, Yet to really be reflected though in the employment side of the equation. So one thing that's holding things together is the fact that people still are employed. And uh, wages have sort of kept track with inflation. So in that sense, um, it hasn't really reached a point of crisis. But uh, in some parts of the economy, yeah, there really really are people hurting. Is it, is it a political problem for the government in the sense that they're coming under pressure to do something about this? Well, the interesting thing is the government have a $20 billion surplus um, uh, for the fiscal year. Um, which was as a result of high commodity prices um, benefiting Australia. Um, so in that sense, there is some capacity to potentially react. Um, what they don't want to do is to, uh, I think they want to create a little bit of level of fiscal discipline, um, which is something historically the Labor parties have been critical, have, have been criticised for not being. So part of their reason for not spending that $20 billion is they want to build that credibility as economic managers and to hold off um, for an election cycle that comes in a year or two. Um, but, yeah, I think the pressure will continue to rise, particularly if the Reserve Bank go again on rates. Um, that'll put a lot of pressure on the government to react in terms of providing some compensation um, to those who, who, who most need it in terms of cost of living. Okay. Now let's turn our attention to another piece of data that came out overnight. The US economy grew faster than expected in the third quarter of the year. GDP expanded 4.9% annualised in the third quarter. That's the fastest rate in almost two years. It compares to 2.1% in the second quarter, very much boosted by consumer um, spending, which rose 4%. This is a significant piece of data, isn't it, for both the Fed and the financial markets as well? Yeah, really interesting um, how aggressively strong uh, consumer spending was in the third quarter for the US. And and I was trying to rack my brain as to why does you know why is the behaviour of the consumer been so positive in the third quarter when really there was was you know no suggestion that um, you know rates are coming off or the economy has slowed sufficiently. I think part of it is was a sense of relief that maybe rates had peaked because the Fed had stopped tightening. Um, the economy wasn't falling into, off a cliff. So people felt that, okay, I think we're going to ride this out. There's not going to be a recession. So I suspect that there was a bit of reaction positively to that. Um, now, is it sustainable? I'm not sure. And this is where the Fed are going to have this conundrum. Is this third quarter sustainable? And therefore, can they put a little bit more pressure on rates? Because they too have seen a bit of a stickiness in that um, 
in that core inflation number that's not necessarily the trend has slowed. And the consumer represents 68% of the GDP number. So it's really the consumer behaviour which is really surprising um, and it's across um, across the board. So is that sustainable for the fourth quarter? I don't know. Mm. Uh, but that'll be something we'll watch out for. Well, I suppose the worry is that they're, they're spending, in effect, their stimulus money, aren't they, that they've received from the government. But you, you would think that almost that must have almost run out by now if it hasn't already um, run out. And, and that could sort of derail consumer spending. Yeah, I think it, it's partly that reaction. But even if, if the consumer the consumer was was somewhat more confident than probably we expected in the third quarter, you know, in this quarter in the U.S., and, and partly, yes, as you say, it's, it's stimulus um, from a fiscal perspective. But I also think sentiment-wise, there's almost a, a sense of relief that maybe the, the worst was over when it came to interest rates and that the economy will get through and there'll be a soft landing. Um, now, that means does that... So the Fed has to weigh up whether it was a bit of a statistical anomaly, this third quarter behaviour, or whether it's sustainable. And then if it is sustainable in their view, then they're more likely to to want to hike rates to keep the pressure on inflation because they can get away with it. Um, but interestingly, the, the futures market doesn't necessarily predict a rate hike um, uh, this year. Uh, they're fairly nascent on that. So I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a tricky one. Um, I'll be certainly looking forward to hearing what the Fed have to say about that GDP number and the outlook for growth mm. if it's adjusted demonstrably. There were some elements in it that also probably weren't sustainable, like this big pickup in uh, inventories. I think that added about 1.3 percentage yes. points to growth. That always gets unwound in the end, doesn't it? Yeah, and the USA is interesting. Um, exports perform better, um, and uh, government spending obviously had a big factor as well. So, um, And the residential investment figures were stronger. So they had some good contributors. Um, and consumer spending was one part of it. But, yeah, and as inventory build up, what does that inventory build up tell you? Uh, was there an expectation of demand to return, therefore, or had inventories been run down in the expectation that demand would have fallen? And now they might have to rebuild that um, because the economic growth picture and the, the outlook's a bit better than what companies had thought. Mm. It, it was an interesting reaction in the bond markets, though, wasn't it? Because um, despite the much better than expected data, and we also had uh, employment uh, jobs uh, jobs losses data as well, which was uh, which was pretty robust, showing the jobs market pretty robust, um, and also durable goods orders were pretty good as well. Nevertheless, bond yields fell. So they hit a high of about 5.02% at the beginning of the week on, on the 10-year, back down to about 4.85% now. Are you getting the sense that maybe now people are starting to think yields at 5%, this is a good level, time to sort of lock in profits on our shorts on, on bonds and maybe take these higher yields? I think that might have been the thesis because otherwise you would say that the numbers would have reflected that there might be a higher um, rate curve if the Fed need to go. So I think it was probably an, an unwind to a large extent and probably a little bit of defensive buying as well um, on the you know potential fear of a flight to quality, buying of bonds in because of geopolitics. That might have a little bit of an element to it, but that necessarily you know, hasn't changed in the last 24 hours. So it's still a risk for everyone. So I suspect it's that. Um, I think you're right. I think it's probably a bit of a profit take, and maybe looking at that level of rates and saying this is not a bad not a bad time to enter. Mm. 
It was interesting what Bill Ackman said, wasn't it, earlier in the week, and when he announced that he's basically uh, covered his short now that he's had for two or three months, made a nice tidy $200 million profit um, on that, but <laughs> saying this is not the time to be short um, yields at these levels when there's so much risk in the world. Yeah, I think that's that, 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 that did have an impact in the middle of the week and maybe just towards the... Um, you know, uh, that 5% people are still looking at that as their level. So as we've crept back up towards that 5%, it seems to be well met right now. So that's possibly partly people just taking profits or at least positioning themselves as the peak. Mm. And what about stocks? It's been a tough couple of months now, hasn't it, from stocks since they uh, they, they had the, hit their high of the year. The Nasdaq now in correction territory. Those magnificent seven uh, tech stocks lost about $2 trillion in market cap in the last um, couple of weeks. It's hard to see, I suppose, um, with yields up at these levels, how, how they're going to rebound. Yeah, what we've noticed here in Australia um, is what we'd call an investment strike. You know, the level of activity in the equity market is not strong at the moment. The level mm-hmm. of corporate activity is not strong. Um, people are not con- are not sure what to do. And with yields where they are and uh, in, in interest rates where they are, um, there's no appetite to necessarily invest. And hence that leads to a fair bit of profit taking, uh, people not finding a, a real desire to, to enter the market. Having said that, we've pulled back quite a lot. Obviously, we've pulled that back to 52-week lows right so we're probably getting to a point where some value starts to emerge across some parts of the of the the stock market so i think you know short of yields cracking through five percent and going sort of on a tear yeah you're starting to probably see some level of support coming to the equity market in the coming coming weeks and a lot to depend on whether there's certainty around rates going forward because really it's really the 10-year bond yield which is a main driver of of uh, earnings yield in terms of pricing and uh, if that sustains above five percent it makes it very difficult for equities to bounce okay finally let me get, just get your thoughts on what the european central bank did uh for the first time in 15 months they left interest rates unchanged they're now at an all-time high of four percent that's where they stayed um listening to christine lagarde I, I sort of got the impression it was a rather dovish speech she gave um in, in the in the press conference um afterwards she was sort of certainly seemed to be signaling that the, the ecb is done for now yeah i think they're concerned about growth um, GDP over the over the coming six months. I think they're concerned that that's a bit weaker than, let's say, in the US in terms of relative basis. Um, she did, I think, quite as say it was totally premature to discuss rate cuts, but to your point, she was a little bit more dovish um, and uh, she was also suggesting that energy price rises that we're seeing through oil unlikely to have a, a, a broader impact uh, on price pressures. So, yeah, it's on balance, slightly dovish, probably more than what the market expected, but don't price any rate cuts in for any time soon. Okay. Well, Toby, thanks very much. Always good to hear your thoughts on a Friday morning. That's Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Thank you very much for listening this morning and this week. Don't forget to take a look at my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll have more business and finance updates for you on Monday. Joining me then are Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Christopher Lee, Partner at Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments. And providing a view from mainland China will be Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. Have a great weekend. Money Talk.